This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series called Blooded, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpern. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one case, but almost a dozen. Listen to Cold Blooded, The Apollo Gym Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. School of Humans. Good morning, Catherine. Good morning. I did not sleep last night. I slept for about an hour and then I like woke up and. (laughs) We've been in Mountain View for about a week now, and I feel like we've gotten a pretty good grip on the main facts of the case. We've met Rebecca's sister, Danielle, and her dad, Larry and the journalist George Jared, who has spent countless hours investigating this case. We've also met Dennis Simons, the lead investigator for the Arkansas State Police. Since he won't share the case file with us, we're on our own to piece together exactly what happened and to embed ourselves in the community to gain people's trust. In September of 2004, 22-year-old Rebecca Gould was brutally murdered in a remote area of the Arkansas Ozarks. 14 years later, her killer is still out there. I've come back to Mountain View with one mission, to get justice for Rebecca. I'm Katherine Townsend, and this is Helen Gone. It's been a week. And it seems like everyone in town has heard of the case and knows exactly why we're here. Even the guy who comes in to fix the hot water heater. Alicia went to Mountain View. I'm not sure if Rebecca went to Melbourne or if she went to Mountain View. I'm not sure. It worked together. It's uh, one of the Sonics. I don't remember. One in Melbourne or one in Mountain View or something in there. He tells us that his daughter Alicia went to school with Rebecca. He also tells us that his catfish pond has been connected to three different murders. Yeah, they told the well, they told the police officers that there was a body in my pond, so they they come out and drained it. Well, we drained it, but uh, that's didn't find anything. So why did they? Why do you think the psychic focused on your pond? I've got no idea. There's a lot of ponds around there, so I got no idea. <laughs> Is it visible from the road? I no, mean, they... no, it's off the road quite a ways. That's pretty weird. Um, and what what what's what's happened to the pond now? Well, right now it's uh, all covered up. Had those that come out and covered it up. So. So no other psychics can bug you? Yeah. yeah it's been twice. One was uh, another killing that uh, really stabbed a boy. But that's, uh, they found a knife in the pond when they drained it that time. This is what I mean when I say Mountain View is a place where bad things can happen. For the record, that's one small catfish pond connected to three different murders. Okay, is it yeah, okay. I'm Catherine. Okay, I'm just having a Thank you, guys. Have a good one. Later. Good luck. Thank, Thank you. you. It's 
eerie, like how everyone in town seems to have some connection with this case. You know, either they knew one of the potential suspects, they knew someone who was involved, um, they knew the victim, their family, I remember their family knew the victim. It's not even like six degrees of separation, it's like one degree of separation. Do you know what I mean? Alicia went to school with Rebecca, and she knows several of the other people that have been brought up in connection with this case. Hi, Alicia. Yeah. Hey, this is Taylor. Sorry I just missed your call. That's okay. I figured you were busy. I'm sorry. I was tied up. I had to do an in-service for my staff today. Alicia works as a registered nurse in the area. Uh, well, my ex-husband, he owned um, the Sonic in Melbourne, and that's where she works. He also um, has the Sonic in Mountain too. Um, and she worked there some, but not at, you know, around the time that um, she went missing. That was when she was working at Melbourne Sonic. You just don't think that that will happen to, especially somebody that you grew up with and you know. And, you know, I, I was in her sister Danielle's class. Um, in my opinion, I think it was a matter of jealousy, and I don't think it was just one person involved. Um, there was a lot going on with that group of people, and they were, um, some of those people are very vindictive, and Chris, um, he's, I can't imagine, you know, him, he's the worst of all of them. Alicia brings up Chris, the town black sheep. Well, Chris, I don't think Chris would be close with anybody. He's not a good person. He, uh, he was really involved in a lot of drugs and, um, just bad stuff. Cindy was Chris' girlfriend. Cindy and Chris kind of kept to themselves a lot, you know, unless they were out, like, at a party or, uh, you know, something like that, where there was other people, and then they might associate with other people, but they were pretty private. Cindy was Chris's girlfriend at the time of the murder. She eventually became his wife. Uh, last I heard, he was in prison. I don't know if he's out, but that's the last I heard, that he was in prison, locked up. Alicia tells me a story that I've heard several times while researching this case. He ended up, um getting in some trouble, I think, for, and I'm not sure if it was Cindy that he ran off the, somebody he ran off the road, and he got in a lot of, a trust, you know, he got in some trouble for that, um, but it was, you know, sometime after that it happened. I don't know. I don't know what you believe, you know, but and her insights about Chris and Cindy definitely start to paint a picture of the people that Rebecca was hanging around with. These are people that even today, people in Mountain View are afraid of. It's become clear that we have to get more information on Chris. So we head into town to the offices of the Stone County Leader, one of the small town papers that reported on Rebecca's death. We are bound copies were filed about a year. Okay. And 2004 is the big ones over there before we started splitting them into two. There we go. This is super helpful because it's been hard to find. Like, not everything's online. There's no telling what's there. Um, that case was kind of strange. She was found in our county, so. Right. Well, where well, was she? It was like within a stone's throw. Right. I mean, it's just right there. And there's also like a lot of connections because her sister went to high school here. Rebecca's murder straddled two counties and affected people all over the state. She hung out and had friends in Mountain View, which is in Stone County. She also hung out in Melbourne and at Casey's house. Both of those are in Izzard County. And Rebecca's body was also found in Izzard County. So the Izzard County Sheriff's Department led the investigation until it was taken over a few days later by the Arkansas State Police. You said there was a follow-up story to this? I think they found a story in a follow-up, if I remember. Last yeah. seen September 20th. So she was reported missing, I believe, on the 20th, and then the 21st is probably when it first came out. So it may not have been until, like, yeah. the 27th yeah. when you guys would have... We probably ran a story when she was missing. So, yeah, here's another one. Yeah, okay, death was real homicide. Rusty is the owner and publisher of the weekly newspaper, The Stone County Leader. He invites us in to talk about the history of the town and how he feels it's changed. Do you know the uh, population, just offhand? 2,700, I think. 
population of the whole county is about 12,400, I believe, for the mm -hmm. last census. If anything, we've lost a little population. What do you think that is? We lost a lot of jobs. We lost a lot of young people that had to move away to find work. Uh, and the Stone County Ironworks at one time had 500 people, if you count their Calico Rock plant. Mm -hmm. And they had about 350 here, almost 400 here. And it's down to 25 people, maybe. In a lot of ways, the story of Mountain View is one that's playing out in small towns all across America's heartland. Jobs have disappeared. Drugs, including meth and opiates, are a crisis that tears at the town's seams. We're not really uh, equipped to be like investigative journalists on something like a murder. I mean, we have to rely on the police. And I... Um, I didn't go to the scene where she was murdered, but it was a bloody mess. So there was some kind of a struggle that went on, you know. All the police are just unanimous in their beliefs that uh, there was drug involved. It's the only motive they could come up with, and, and they were all kind of involved in that drug culture. If you remove drugs from the equation, the only crimes we would have here could be domestic violence of some sort or another. And a lot of that's drug-related. Money and drugs are kind of tied, you know. I burglarized the house to get money from my uh, meth. Is meth a big problem down here? It, it, it has been in the past. You know, that, that's a landscape that changes all the time. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure that I'm current on it right now, but a couple of years ago, I, I was convinced that um, prescription drugs, primarily opioids, had replaced meth and everything else as the number one problem here. Over the years, Rusty's developed a great relationship with local law enforcement. He knows what they're thinking. He sort of speaks in code. He's happy to share, but he's not going to tell us too much. Like many other people in town, he refers to Dennis's huge binder of information on Rebecca's case. Well, I know, I know what the police are thinking, or what the prosecutor's thinking anyway. The police thought they had enough evidence to prosecute, but the prosecutor disagreed. And if there were indeed more than one people involved in the murder, then what they're hoping is somebody will blame. The more people that know about what really happened, the better the odds of somebody down the road talking. But aside from that, they still don't have a good enough case to. And without new evidence or additional evidence, they're dead in the water. Uh, these cold cases sometimes get solved by someone who comes forth and talks about it. The police all think they know who did it. But they can't prove it. This is a cold case. Something you could happen though. And the reason, according to my theory anyway, is I do not see how one person could have done that by themselves without being detected somewhere. Or another. They mm -hmm. had to have an assistant or a couple. And it's almost certainly that there were drugs involved somewhere or another. With Rusty's references to drugs, multiple people, and the habitual offender, I feel pretty confident he's referring to Chris and JB. This is the same theory we keep hearing time and time again that Chris killed Rebecca while he was high on meth, and that JB, his friend, helped him clean up the crime scene. Both Chris and JB have been questioned extensively by the police. So if we want to figure out what happened, getting their stories will be key. But these guys both have criminal records, and I don't want to reach out to them without finding out exactly what their relationship was like with Rebecca just before she was murdered. So we go back to Danielle, Rebecca's sister, to ask her about their relationship. He, Chris had always liked Rebecca for many years, um, but I wasn't sure if they had seen each other in a long time. So, Like liked her as a person or liked her crush on her kind of thing? Um, he liked her both, both. Right. But I mean, he was with Cindy and I mean, I don't think she'd seen Chris in a long time. She never had anything to do with him romantically or nothing like that, but... Have you talked to Chris at all over the years since any of this happened? No. Just what? during that time, a little bit, and then since then, no. No. If Chris was there to me, he would have rode with JB. That That's the only way of me thinking that Chris would be there. Yeah. So... Some people think that Chris was obsessed with Rebecca, 
Danielle seems to at least confirm that he had longstanding feelings for her. I keep coming back to like, what was JB's connection? It wasn't like a main friend or nothing, but she was friends with him. Danielle said that JB was Rebecca's source for pot back in the day, and that she thought Rebecca may have owed him some money. Of course, Rebecca smoked pot some, but I don't think it was just Chris and JB. Yeah. If Chris was involved, Cindy knows, and I think Cindy was there. Cindy was Chris's girlfriend at the time of the murder, and they've had an on-again, off-again relationship ever since. I'm hoping this will end up working to our advantage, and that maybe she can give us some new information on Chris. Like, I can't imagine, like, Cindy would have that much loyalty to Chris now. Yeah, she they thought, got married after that. They're divorced, I think, now. But they had a few kids, I believe. And if she thinks that, like, she could go away, then this might be a good moment for her to turn on him. I mean, I'll be honest, I'm scared of these people. Yeah, you know? that's why like, I don't mention so much, because I'm being recorded, because I'm, like, scared. I've talked to Chris before. A couple of years back, I went to see him in Stone County Jail while he was behind bars on a different charge. But I have no clue where he is now. We'll be right back. Hey, y'all, it's Catherine. As you know from Helen Gone, crime can happen to anyone at any time. When it comes to home security, your best line of defense is your vigilance and preparation. That's why I recommend Simply Safe Home Security. Obviously, we cannot control everything that happens out there in the world, but when I'm in my own home, I feel very reassured by the fact that I have a home security system. And Simply Safe is affordable, easy to use, and crucially, it's easy to get started with and then build on later as you need more functionality. They have a huge variety of indoor and outdoor cameras. It's backed by 24 7 professional monitoring for less than a dollar a day with no contracts and a 60-day money-back guarantee. Get 20% off any new Simply Safe system when you sign up for Fast Protect Monitoring. Just visit simplysafe.com/hellengone. That's simplysafe.com/hellengone. There's no safe like Simply Safe. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halper. She's the shame, you know, that they took him from us. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, knocking on doors, uncovering new evidence, including the DNA of a potential killer. Uh, my name is Danny Smith. I'm a detective um, with Miramar Police Department. This is Scott Weinberger. We're actually reopening an old case, and your name came up. Untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one murder, but almost a dozen. I thought they were going to kill me, so I kept my mouth shut and I didn't say anything. All these years, I didn't say anything. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi guys, Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies, personally investigating, prosecuting, and covering literally thousands of cases. It's so easy to think it will never happen to me or my family. 
but that is simply not true. Every day on Crime Stories with Nancy Grace, we shine a light on unsolved homicides, heat up cold cases, and help find missing people, especially children. We speak with family members, investigators, CSI, reporters, and experts in every field. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. So I was just calling all the auto parts stores in Mountain View. That's Sandy. She's part of our research team. She's helping us to track down possible leads and locations where Chris and JB might be working. I won, and like I got close to the end of the list, and everybody was just like, nobody here works here with that name. I was just asking, hey, do JB or Chris, uh, are JB and Chris working today? And then I got to this guy, and I said, are JB and Chris in today? And he said, no. And I was like, do you know when they'll be in? And he said, hopefully tomorrow morning. I was like, you think both of them will be in tomorrow? And he said, yeah, hopefully. So he, like, he, he, it sounded like he, that they work there to me. Yeah. Well, probably JB. I mean, there could be another Chris, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Like, Chris is such a common name. Yeah. Um, and I found a couple of possible addresses for Chris. I just don't know how reliable they are. And I also found one number linked with his name, but I highly doubt that's his number. Cool. Thank you for that info. Purple Road. Of course it's Purple Road. That's like the one bad neighborhood. <laughs> we could go there in the morning. Somebody could go there in the morning and just like bullshit a little bit, ask about a tire prices or anything, just to make sure it's the right Chris. Yeah, because if we can see that that's Chris and JB. Right. Because it could be another Chris. Since I did meet Chris in person a couple of years ago, I don't want to tip either of them off that I'm looking for them. So one of our producers drives through town and goes in pretending to have a flat tire. Doing all right? Yeah, how you doing, man? Got a flat? Yeah, I got, uh, it's a rental car. I'd love to know if you got one. I'd love to pull a fast one on them. And yeah, we got one. Be a little do. bit, we'll get to you. Appreciate it. He's not inside. All right, well, this is a bust. Oh, well, yeah, I got a little spook barking in there, though. Yeah, I tried to look in, and, like, I saw uh, some other dude with long hair. Yeah. Not him? Mm-hmm. All right. I mean, it's not to say he doesn't work there, but he wasn't there. Yeah, neither of them. When we first pulled up, there was a young guy that from the from, from back, behind? from behind looked just like him, and I was like, oh, shit. Oh, my you. God. But it, it wasn't. Maybe it was a son, who knows? So it was neither of them then. No, the old guy that owns the place is Charlie. He's got like long white hair. Oh, we'll find him, you know, you gotta try stuff. Yeah. It'd be good though. Yeah, I mean, it's good to have that checked off our list. Yeah, whatever, it's, it's also like it gets people comfortable with doing, you know, the more surveillance you do, like the easier it gets. I talked to someone else who knows Rebecca, my sister's friend, Jesse. He told me that he saw Rebecca just a few days before her murder. Jesse, I don't think he's, I don't know if he's in with Chris, but I know that like he, so I know he was really good friends with Rebecca. Also, I think he might've seen her like as recently as Friday, um, like that weekend. Oh, that, that Friday. Yeah. He'll probably have a better idea because he's lived here forever. So he'll probably have a better idea of like who works where. And oh. I'm gonna see if I'm fine on Facebook. Yeah. So, it, but that's what I'm just saying is like anyone who, you know, who has possibly maybe seen Chris, you know, just to ask, to try to put eyes on. So like, if Jesse, which is great because since he's been here and he lives here, he may have been like, oh yeah, Chris does work at CNA Tire. I went there the other day to get a tire and I saw him. Hey, how you doing, man? Good. Are you Jesse? Yeah. Yeah, me and Rebecca went in the same class together in school and we're pretty good friends. Yeah. Whenever I was last hanging out with her, which was right before she got murdered, she was staying over there at, or she was actually working a little bit at Sonic at Melbourne. And she's just starting back to, she's going to go to school with her and her sister, Danielle, back at Fayetteville, I'm pretty sure. Y'all had to bear with me, it's been years ago. They found her phone or whatever, you know, and my number was on there 48 hours from when she, you know, had come up missing. So they called me and she, her car was broken down over there at her house, at his house. And she got up with me because my cousin and stuff owns a salvage yard out about 15 miles west of Mountain View. And I was trying to get an alternator rigged up and I told her, that he didn't have one at that time, you know, closing time. And she said, well, she'd found one from another friend. 
which I think that's how Chris came involved. He supposedly took an alternator over there. If Rebecca needed someone to fix her car, could that explain why Chris and JB could be at Casey's house that morning? Well, see, this guy named JB, B and Chris, supposedly went over there to work on her car. And that's the last I heard from her. So the only thing I can maybe think of, of course, this is just a scenario I've made up in my head, is maybe they went over there and probably induced that they was going to work on her car and whatever happened, happened then. It was just probably them being all drugged out and thinking one thing when it really wasn't. And, and they may went over there and fixed her car and expected payment in that way. You can't tell, you know what I mean? Because these dudes ain't, they're not like us sitting here talking. They're way different. Jesse's version of events matches what I've heard before. And I have to take it seriously, because he knows Chris may be better than anyone I've talked to so far. Yeah, he's been in trouble his whole life. First time I ever met him, I was about 15. And I'm 35 now, so about 20 years ago. Didn't he adopt him? Yeah. Nick Daniel's ex. His dad's name's Tim And Chris lived with him. Nick is Danielle's ex-husband and the father to her two girls. Nick said he and Chris were best friends and even brothers. Literally. Nick's dad legally adopted Chris. But when Rebecca was murdered, Nick felt Chris was involved or knew more than he was saying, and they had a major falling out. They haven't spoken since. Finding him might be the... Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and you probably ain't gonna get to talk to him. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he probably ain't gonna be cooperative. Like oh, I, yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> Most of the time, when people are guilty. They shy away from stuff like that because yeah. they're afraid they might say something that will entrap them. Probably. His ex-girlfriend, she might know where to find him. And she worked right down her name. Thank you so hey, much. It's good to meet you. Thank you so much. No problem. It's good to meet you yeah. as well. Good luck. I hope y'all catch the SOB. Yeah, Finding JB isn't proving to be any easier. But since I've been connecting with what seems like half the town on social media, I find him on Facebook and send him a message. I decide to be direct. I tell him I'm investigating Rebecca's murder. I let him know that I think the cops have him in the frame, but I think they have it wrong. I need your help, I write. It's the truth. Later on, my phone rings. It's JB. Like I said, I didn't see Rebecca much those days, and uh, I figured she'd turned up, you know, hanging out with somebody or something, and then they, it turned out that, you know, they found her, like, several days later. Were, I mean, were you hanging out with Chris during that weekend? Or, or, like, how did... I'm just trying to figure out how they got you guys involved in this or said you were involved. <laughs> no. When I go to the cabin, I don't think nobody from out you goes with me. Well, because some... We had sort of heard that you... Were you looking for him the next week or a few days later? Chris went around telling everybody that I've done that. I said, I don't do stupid shit. That's not what I do. Chris opened his name about and said that I did that or said I had anything to do that again, and I was going to fuck him up. But they believe that Chris is too stupid to do it and get away with it. They believe he did it, and he called me to help cover it up. And I was not, I would have, no, no, that's not me. I don't do shit like that. Uh, Rebecca was my friend. We might not hang out every day and stuff, but, uh, She's my friend. If I ever found out who done something like that, I'd turn him in after I got done. I ask him if we can meet in person. He agrees, and I start driving toward Bald Knob to his house. It occurs to me that meeting someone who the police think could be involved in the murder in an area with no cell reception may not be the smartest move I've ever made as an investigator. So I make a judgment call. When he opens the door, he's friendly and open, and I'm immediately at ease. Now, at that time, though, I got them selling the meth and stuff and the ice. I've never cooked dope in my life. I bought it from other people and I resold it. You know, I mean, it's what I was good at, but... Uh, JB now works on oil pipelines and has cleaned up his act. However, he's pretty open about his days as a drug dealer. So I hadn't seen Rebecca for, or talked to her and I don't know, it'd been a long time. And then she just showed up at my house that week before and asked for sack of weed. And I didn't keep it at my house, so I told her, you know, well, I don't have any. She knew I did, and I always kept it, like, hidden in a ditch or something, you know. Yeah. But uh, I actually had it stashed in a cooler out in the woods somewhere. And uh, so I told her she had to ride with me out there, you know, to get it and stuff. And uh, well, I was walking out toward my vehicle, and I seen some movement in her car, and I'm like, you got somebody with you? And she's like, yeah, yeah. Uh, and told me, you know, it was her boyfriend, that dude from Melbourne and stuff. He means Casey. Like, well, he, he can't sit here in my driveway in your car, you know. He's going to have to 
ride with us and she's like okay you know and so he rode with us that I, you know i don't think he ever said a word he just sat in the back seat kept the mouth shut went out there got the weed come back and uh they got in her vehicle left and she come back the next week she's coming from wherever she's living at the time going to melbourne to his place and uh paid me my money it's like i don't know 15 20 bucks 25 bucks something like that I've heard these rumors of Rebecca's drug debt, but $15 or $20 hardly qualifies as a debt worthy of murdering your friend. She said she's going to either drop some movies off or rent some movies, and then she's headed to Melbourne. And that was, do you remember if that was that weekend that she, like the, the weekend she, before she was no, murdered? the day before. And it, I, would, I would think it would have been on like a Thursday or Friday because, because like the next day I went to Cabot for the weekend. Right. Cabot is a town on the outskirts of Little Rock. It's about an hour and a half away. So I'm thinking, you know, I would have went down there to the party and stuff like that. You know, it probably was a Friday night when I went down there. When I was in Cabot, I was actually going down Highway 5 when we were going up the big hill there at Greystone. And I got a call from my wife, well, my girlfriend at the time. And she said, I want to know if I'd heard anything about Rebecca. And I was like, no, and she's like, well, she's missing, and everybody's looking for her. If you hear anything, you need to let somebody know. I said, well, I said, well, tell them that I seen her, you know, the other day when she come down, you know, that, that she's supposed to be heading to Melbourne. That's the last that I heard anything from her. So. And when did you start to hear that, like, they might be looking for you for some reason, the cops? Oh, never. Never? No. Well, I mean, I guess I eventually did, but because, uh, I think they, I think they left a note or something at our house or something. Anyway, the uh, the contact them, and we ended up going up there to the station there in Mountain View to talk to the state detective. They had me come up there and take a lie detector test, and then after that, they didn't bother me no more. I think they said uh, took one. It wasn't that he failed, but it wasn't like that he, you know, just passed with flying colors or something, you know. But. But uh, no doubt they did say that they gave him one. Anyway, they, they told me that they didn't think I had anything to do with it as far as her death, but they knew that Chris come to my house and that's why they wanted to talk to me. And they felt like he went over and done it and then called me to come help him clean it up because he was too dumb to get away with it. What the hell do I know about murder? You're cleaning it up, you know what I mean? I sell drugs. Yeah. That's all I do. And Rebecca was my friend, so I wouldn't, you know, that's messed up. So according to JB, Chris told the cops that JB killed Rebecca. And I talked to him, I think, one time after that, because I went by a friend's house, and they told me that he was over there telling everybody that I was the one that did that crap. And I told him, if they see him by God again, tell him my name will never come out of his mouth again, or I'm going by God and punch him in the face, you know. When JB found out what his former friend had told the police, they had a major falling out, and they haven't spoken since. I mean, do you think Chris is capable of doing it? If you had to guess, I mean... I think, I think he was capable of it. I mean, I really don't see why he would. I mean, because he always told me that he grew up with her, her family. They helped raise him and, and stuff like that. Chris maintained very well for somebody that used a needle. Yeah. I mean, he didn't just get out there where he's in a different world. Like, you know, the first guy I ever seen that was on a needle... Uh, he was out there raking a field of rocks. The only way I see Chris doing it is if he just got out there, you know. But it made me very suspicious of him because why would he be saying that I did it, you know? There was a rumor too about his car. Chris and JB also have another connection, a car. Shortly before the murder, Chris bought a white Chevy Lumina from JB's girlfriend. This car was crushed shortly after the murder about the fact that like his car got crushed because I'd heard that I went out to the auto graveyard and everything and I know his car disappeared. I even went to the auto graveyard to look for the car, but they told me that it was long gone. So I mean it did disappear. He bought that car off my wife, which was my girlfriend at the time. And Chris wanted to buy it, so she sold it to him for like, I don't know, three or four hundred dollars. She's like, uh you know, I can't even tell you one time I ever seen him drive that car. He took it somewhere and that's where it sat. Unless they got the brakes fixed on it and stuff. I don't ever see him driving a car very many places. But the car disappeared. Cops want to know about my DNA being in it, if there would be any reason. Because it was on its way back from Tennessee that they located it. 
and that the trunk had blood all in it, and they wanted to know there's any reason my DNA being in this. Some people speculated that Rebecca's body could not have been on the side of the road for a week with no one finding it, that her body had been kept somewhere and later moved to the dump site. Could the body have been kept in the trunk of a car? If my DNA is in that car, the only place it would be would be when I leaned across the front of that car one time, maybe some sweat or hair fell off in the front, but that would be the only time, that my, the only way my DNA could be in that car. Because I've never rode, because when she, me and her met, that car didn't have no brakes or nothing. See, it's weird because if they're saying that they found it and the trunk had blood in it, then why don't they have any Proof. DNA? I got pulled over, uh, I don't know, like a week or so after this. I'd hit a deer within around this time frame and I put it, throwed it back in my blazer and I carried it over to my father-in-law's well, I, I can't think, I mean, it killed the deer, but I that I cannot think of so much as seeing a drop of blood come off that deer. And I get pulled over like a week or so after this. And the cops search my vehicle and they find an oil can that had blood on it. The only thing I can think of is, you know, I just hit this deer, you know. And so they're gonna take it and check it to see if it's human or not, which I reckon it come out to be animal blood because I never heard back from it. But I can't think of any time that where that blood could have got on that from that deer. And I got the strangest feeling one night, like somebody had put that in back of my blazer. So I, I, I just, I got real, you know, it just seemed like everybody's pointing finger at me. So I, I packed my crap up and I left, I got out of there. I could just feel a setup coming. And I learned a long time ago, if you don't listen to your gut, you're, you're, you know, you're messing up. So after the murder, JB feels like everyone is pointing their fingers at him. Chris, the cops. So he does what anyone might do. He gets out of town and moves away to work in Texas. Eventually, he came back to Arkansas, but he refuses to set foot in Mountain View. We'll be right back. Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halper. Just a shame, you know, that they took him from us. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, knocking on doors, uncovering new evidence, including the DNA of a potential killer. Uh, my name is Danny Smith. I'm a detective uh, with Miramar Police Department. This is Scott Weinberger. We're actually reopening an old case, and your name came up. Untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one murder, but almost a dozen thought they were going to kill me, so I kept my mouth shut and I didn't say anything. All these years, I didn't say anything. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi guys, Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. 
I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies, personally investigating, prosecuting, and covering literally thousands of cases. It's so easy to think it will never happen to me or my family, but that is simply not true. Every day on Crime Stories with Nancy Grace, we shine a light on unsolved homicides, heat up cold cases, and help find missing people, especially children. We speak with family members, investigators, CSI, reporters, and experts in every field. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. <laughs> you couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. She's breathing right now? Yes, she's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the LA Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. JB said that Chris is staying with Cindy right now. We need to see if we can confirm an address for her to see if maybe there are extra cars that could be Chris's. I don't know where Cindy's house is, but she's not hard to find. She's a waitress at Angler's, the town's only watering hole. Both Stone and Izzard counties are dry counties. The only place where you can buy a drink is an Angler's restaurant on the White River. They have specials like fried pickles and catfish and alligator on the menu nightly. And the owner kept two trout named Bud and Weiser in a temperature-controlled tank in the front. You have to walk through the gas station to get to the restaurant. It's kind of hard to explain. So I know where Cindy works, but it's not like I can just go up and ask her if she murdered someone while I'm ordering an appetizer. So it looks like it's time for a stakeout. That night, Chad, Taylor, and James head to see if they can find out where she lives. We'll go have dinner at Angler's, and then we'll, we'll see if Cindy's working. And if she is, then... 8-11 right now. The good thing is, is I think she was the only waitress wearing a black shirt. I think I may have put down like at least like a suspected address for her. Oh, really? There's some people coming out, looks like dudes. But it looks like everyone's gonna, a lot of people leaving. Okay. Yeah. Uh, could no. further that way? That would be helpful. I would just park as far down as we can, yeah, close to that white see. van. Yeah. This is, this is a much better band. Oh, yeah, because we can see in the back window yeah. now. Mm-hmm. Yep, I just saw her walk by the, the cook. Yep. You're, you're the eyes on the getaway car. Yeah, I think we stay back. I mean, at the very least, we find out what car she drives, mm-hmm. go by tomorrow, get the plate, cool. run it. Maybe there's an address. <sighs> it's a whopping 847. Now, what do we know about her? She's got two kids with Chris. I think three. three. And they were together as soon, uh, I mean, I mean they were less like, than a year ago. Yeah. Yep, and just turned nine. That must be the time everyone leaves. Yep. We got a light out in the kitchen now. Yeah, I mean, the good thing is, is like, in any direction she goes, there's not really any, like... I mean, she's going to be on that road for the next 10 miles or yeah, so. Yeah, exactly. Ooh, black shirt. This does look promising. Oh. Nice. 920. 920. What's she doing? Is she getting in the car? She is getting in something, yeah. She, she's got to... Oh, shit. Stay down, stay down. All right, I'm done. Yeah, 
She's in the white car. She's going right towards, oh no, she's going left. Oh, she's going up towards Mountain View. Yeah, let's go. She's cooking, she's going pretty fast. Yeah. I'm trying to get my seat back up. Good. Yeah, we gotta catch up. Probably knows these roads so well. Yeah, and she's in a smaller vehicle. Just go, 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 go. I know, I'm going 80. <laughs> that is a bad. Shit, here I go. 80 is 45. Yeah, that, yeah, that looks like a car too. So. That is that her or is that the truck? That might be a truck. Go. Yeah, that's not her, man. That's the truck. Is that truck behind her? No, the truck was in front of her. If it was the red truck, that was our waitress. Oh, the, our in. waitress. Yeah. Oh shit. Then that means that Cindy turned, turned off. Man, she got the fuck out of town, didn't she? Keep an eye out, too, because, like, maybe she, she could even live in a house right off the road. Yeah, that's true. White car in that parking. Oh, shit, that house has a white car right up front. It sure does. She fucking shook us, dude. So the stakeout is a bust. We head back to the cabin to open a bottle of bourbon and update the murder board with what we know so far. I mean, JB is the one person that has been like, I didn't have anything to do with this and let me tell you everything I know. I know. Yeah, he has. Um, and I, I'm hopeful that as we talk to some more of the core people, um, those names that are floating around, I, I'm hopeful that more of them will be like that. In this whole region, there's a huge drug problem and Meth does make you do crazy things, and it, it really, um, it, it, something can start out as a simple robbery and it just gets ratcheted up so fast to some psychotic, crazy murder. You know, Chris, I mean, everyone, one, one thing everyone says is that at that time he was really messed up on drugs. He, he's a he's a sinister guy. Like he's not a big guy, but he's got it's the look in his eye. It's something about it. Like he's a scary guy. I find him scary. No, he, he looks a lot tougher than I actually had imagined. Oh, he's tough. Like, he'll fuck you up in a second. He he would he would not think twice about hitting any one of us in the face, probably, or worse. Also, we've got to just we can't say enough or stress enough. I feel that. Once you add meth to the mix, not to say these people are doing it, but even the potential for people to be on meth, like you're, the situation can spiral out of control just so fast. Um, I do think that there's a lot of distrust at this point, and, and also they might have gone through this before. I mean, what JB went through it, it was terrible. He was made to feel like um, they were gonna be charged. He, he was very scared and worried. He was so freaked out by this, and this is a big guy, you know, who's no stranger to like dealing with the locks. He was dealing drugs at the time. And this guy left town and never came back. I mean, that's pretty telling. That's how, that's how freaked out he was. And if he was that freaked out, then all these people have to be at least that freaked out because they still live here. And this still could come back on them. But you're right, that's all, I know that it's risky, but that's all the more reason why you want to get out there and clear your name, because if you don't and you still live here, then it's just a matter of time. You're just like waiting for the shoe to drop, for them to charge you with something or something else to get said. It's just, it's just bizarre. What we do have is the fact that we're not the cops. We don't automatically think everyone's bad and a criminal because they did some drugs, and uh, we only care about finding who did this. All right, well, I guess I should go home before I drink like a bottle of bourbon. Without hard evidence, we're really chasing ghosts. We need to get access to the autopsy report and really dig into the scientific facts of the case and talk to some experts to see if we can glean any information that will help us determine a potential motive and find the killer. And more importantly, we have to find Chris. I'm Katherine Townsend, and this is Helen Gone. Gone is a joint production between How Stuff Works and School of Humans. It is written and recorded by me, Katherine Townsend. Taylor Church is our producer and story editor. Audio editing and design by Jonathan Sleep. Mix engineer, Glenn Matulo. Audio mixing and love by Tune Welders. Executive producers, Brandon Barr and L.C. Crowley for School of Humans, and Connell Byrne and Chuck Bryant for How Stuff Works. 
Our field producer is James Morrison. Our researcher is Sandy Klosterman. Theme and original score by Ben Soli. Available wherever you get your music. To dig into the investigation, please visit HelenGonePodcast.com or follow us on social media. School of Humans. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series called Blooded, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpern. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one case, but almost a dozen. Listen to Cold Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts.